the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Here's the motive. In order to be seen by them. Here's the heart. In order to be seen by them. In order to impress them. There's a for here. And that usually means because in the Greek. Because then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Because God wants sincere worship. He loves you sincerely. And he wants you to love him sincerely. I can see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The anthem for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into all the We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you that we as your church can come together in this meeting house, Lord, to worship you. Father, never let us lose sight of the power and the importance and the priority of worship. As we look at Matthew 6, Father, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, help us to understand worship differently, Lord, more fully, more expansively, and more powerfully in our lives and in the lives of those whom we meet. We ask this humbly and undeservedly in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Our series is called Successful Kingdom Living, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And for the last seven weeks or so, we've been understanding successful kingdom living. And what that is, is living right side up in this upside down broken world in all the ways that Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why we've subtitled our series, uh, Right Side Up in an Upside Down World. And What the Sermon on the Mount is all about is how then, as Christ followers, we should then live in the midst of this generation in which he has placed us for such a time as this. And as we have worked through the Sermon on the Mount, we began in the Beatitudes with the heart attitudes of a Christian, with what a Christian's heart looks like. And Jesus uses this Sermon on the Mount, we call it, to lay out his expectations of his people, what his people look like. Remember, this is the only sermon recorded in its entirety of Jesus Christ. And it is him 
laying out his manifesto, his, his constitution for the kingdom, his expectations of his people. And in it, we learn a lot about him and a lot about who we are, whose we are, and how we should be. The Sermon on the Mount isn't about how to become a Christian. It's about how to live like a Christian. And that begins in the heart with understanding our spiritual poverty before God. When it opens up with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, we are reminded that unless you understood that you are morally and spiritually bankrupt before a holy, loving, and gracious, and perfect God, and pure God, you cannot know him. You cannot come to know him because you will fail to understand your need for him. And so he begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that grieve over their sin, for they shall find comfort as they turn to him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who are not meek, those who do not restrain themselves before a holy God as they live out their faith in an unholy world will never ever experience the blessings that God wants them to. As we worked through this also, we watched as Jesus punched holes in the cultural understanding of the law and the prophets. The Pharisees, as we've talked about time and time again, gutted the law. They made it a series of externals. If you don't do this, you're okay. If you don't do that, you're okay. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he makes a series of six sets of antithetical statements that clarify the law. Remember, he said, I have not come to to abrogate the law. I have not come to replace the law. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and to explain it. And what he begins to do is do just that. And so we begin to see the difference between outward religion, the religion of the Pharisees, the religion of the morally bankrupt Jewish religious structure in that day, and the difference between true kingdom living, between those who have a relationship with God and God. And so Jesus, you know, he tells us it's just not good enough not to commit adultery. Don't even think that way. It's not just good enough not to commit murder, but don't hate people. The way you think is who you are. And if you've hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder already. And if you have looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. You know, he says, you should, you've heard it said, you shall love your enemy, uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, you see him clarifying all of this. And he reminds them and he reminds us, them and their us here and now, that unless your, fair, unless, your, unless your righteousness exceeds, goes beyond that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's it. And I'm sure the people were shocked. And it says at the end of Matthew 7 that they were amazed at his teaching because he didn't teach like the scribes of the Pharisees. He taught as one having authority. And he warned them, right? The ones who hear these words of mine and do them and responds to them is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The one who hears them and ignores them is like the foolish person who built their house upon the sand. And the difference between our rising and falling, so to speak, between our salvation and destruction is our response, is our reaction to the words and will of Jesus Christ. And so we've worked our way through all this understanding. Now, when you look at the structure of the Sermon on the Mount, it begins in the heart in Matthew 5. Who we are determines how we live, how we think, how we feel, determines how we live. So he starts with these heart attitudes, and in Matthew 6, he goes into what it looks like when we worship God in a formal setting, temple worship, giving of alms, praying, fasting, things like that. And then in Matthew chapter 7, he moves into, he actually does it at the end of Matthew 6, but at the end of Matthew 6 and going into Matthew 7, he moves into the public square, so to speak. He moves into the world around those people. So he starts in their heart, 
He, then he deals with their worship, then he deals with their everyday living. Because as Christ followers, that's how we are salt and light. That's how we are, that's how we so let our light shine before men and women that they see our good works and that they glorify our Father who is in heaven. They see that we're different. They see us, as we say, live right side up in this upside down fallen world. They see us engage in successful kingdom living, living out what we say we believe, not just with our lips, but with our lives. And in so doing, we have the opportunity, Lord willing, to gain an audience with some and to explain the gospel to them. Because people are watching. People want to know that we really do believe what we say we believe. And they're looking to us as ambassadors of Christ, to understand what this Christianity is. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about living in such a way as to deliver that message, not just with our lips, but with our lives, through all that we say, think, and do. And so today, understanding all this, we come to the realm of worship. We come to the realm of worship. We come to Matthew 6. It's sort of like a a, a stairway to heaven. We start in the heart, we go with our worship, we go with our living, and in so doing, we point people upward to the upward call. So what I want to do today is do a helicopter flyover of Matthew 6, then come back in the, in, a, in the next few weeks and take it apart and really examine it closely. But what I want to do is give you a sense of the topography of the landscape. So what I'm going to do is read through parts of Matthew chapter 6 right now, if you can follow along, and then we'll come back and understand what it means for our worship, because successful kingdom living involves worship. It is worship, and worship is a verb. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And and now we go into verse 5. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Moving over to verse 16. We'll come back to praying next week in the Lord's Prayer. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you fast, notice all this is but when, it's never but if, okay? But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 33, but seek first, but seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, that's a lot going on right there. But I tell you what, it's critical to understanding worship. The linchpin verse is the first one, and where he warns us to be careful of doing our righteousness before men, to be seen by them. It's not about appearances. It's not about gaining acceptance or impressing people. It's about worshiping God. It's about doing what we do for the glory of God, to honor God. What's Jesus saying? He's saying don't do anything from mixed motives. Don't do it. And these truly, truly I say to you's are to call emphasis to the fact that you do what you do for God and your Father who sees in secret, who sees your heart, will reward you. We do what we do for God, not men. And that applies to giving, whether to the poor or to the local church. It's not about what people see you do. It's about what you do and why you do it, to do it to please God. It's about prayer. We don't pray to, to impress people. I remember I was reading a, 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 a book by a, the late James Boyce, and he was saying, and he was quoting, <laughs> he was quoting, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis, and he said, you know, does how you pray in private change when you're in front of people? Are your public prayers more ostentatious than your private prayers? See, worship is a matter of the heart, and our heart attitudes, our worship, our our priorities, our affections are to be reflected in what we do, whether it's giving, whether it's praying, or whether it's fasting. Our motives and our methods matter. And when our motives and methods are pleasing to God, he blesses. We see that in a series of verses. We see it in verse 4 or 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And look at this, watch it play out. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And look at the next verse, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. We're not to do what the hypocrites do for effect. We're to do it out of reverence for God, love for God, and love for our neighbor. Verse 16 through 18. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and what? You hear that? You see that repetitive phrase? And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now what's going on here a little bit is this. This is all like a first cousin to, you've heard it said, but I say to you. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes do. This is what the people of God do. This is what the hypocrites do. This is what the people of God do. This is what they told you about the law that you apparently didn't read for yourself. And this is what I say about the law is the author and finisher of the law. And then we go into this whole practice thing. This is what the world does. This is what we do. They do it to be seen by men. We do it to be seen by God. That's what's going on here. And all of this is about worship. And what I'd like to do today is really talk about three realities about worship. Because that's what chapter 6 is all about. It's about worship. And what is worship? And this is, invi- this is vital to understand. What is worship? Worship is everything that you and I, that we say, think, and do. Some of it takes place out on the street as we live out our faith day in and day out. Some of it takes place in the worship center. Some of it takes place in the prayer closet. Some of it takes place at the dinner table. Some of it takes place as we either uh, send money or write a check. It all takes place at different times and places. But there are four realities about worship that are not to be missed here in this text that we can distill, derive, and apply. And the first one is this, and it is crystal clear. And I, I, 
as I do this helicopter flyover, I know this is going to be reviewed for many of us, but we need to say what we need to say because we are driven by the text. And the text tells us this, that worship, worship is a matter of the heart. Worship is a matter of the heart. Sincerity comes from the heart. Hypocrisy comes from somewhere else. And we see that in the very first verse in chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Here's the motive. In order to be seen by them. Here's the heart. In order to be seen by them. In order to impress them. There's a four here. And that usually means because in the Greek. Because then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Because God wants sincere worship. He loves you sincerely. And he wants you to love him sincerely. Not to please your pastor, not to please your ABF leader, not to please your small group leader, not to please anybody else, but to please him. That's worship. It's a matter of the heart. Make no mistake, true worship is a matter of the heart. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, from the heart and with precision. The way he wants to be worshipped. That's what that means. Worship goes beyond outward appearances to the inner motivations of the mind and the heart. Make no mistake. Appearances are often deceiving. And we do not rely on appearances. And God doesn't rely on appearances. Remember when uh, Samuel was trying to find a king. And he was going through Jesse's sons. And Jesse had all these good looking boys. And God says, not him, not him, not him. He goes, you know, I don't see as man sees. I look at the heart. In fact, you see that in 1 Samuel 16, 7. God looks at the heart. Look at it with me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Unfortunately, we live in a society that really goes by appearances. Who's the best looking? Who's the whatever? But God is not into appearances. Outwardly, you can look as as if you've got it together, but inwardly, you can be falling apart. My poster child for that in today's culture is the actor Johnny Depp. You ever seen the movie Pirates of the Caribbean or things like that? Murder on the Orient Express. Here is a gifted actor, kind of a winsome personality when he's interviewed, but if you've been reading the papers, he's run through a $650 million fortune. He, he, he blows about 3 or $4 million a month. He spends over $50,000 a month on wine, which, I mean, I guess he's drinking the Lafitte Rochdale every day. I don't know. But what I do know is this. His appearances are entirely different than his heart. He's not too nice to his wife, hasn't been too good to his children, but everybody loves the guy, or did. But God doesn't see as men see. God looks at the heart. And the trouble is in our culture is there are many professing Christians who are all into appearances. How do they dress? How do they do? What do they do? They They look like me. The Sermon on the Mount is about the heart. It's not about appearances. And that's why we understand that worship is everything we say, think, and do because God is looking at our beatitudinal hearts. He's looking at the expression of what's inside of us as it comes out of us. You heard me say before, we're like tubes of toothpaste. You put a squeeze on us and what's inside comes outside. We're like a tea bag. Put us in the water and out comes the tea. The water didn't make the tea, it released the tea. What's inside of us comes out of us. And worship is everything we say, think, and do. Now I know somebody's probably going, well, wait a minute, where'd you get that definition from? Where's that found? It's found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. Do all things to the glory of God. That's worship. We are to worship, we are to serve the Lord and Him only. 
We are not to do what we do to please men, to get a promotion at work, to be accepted in the culture. You know, we're not to go out looking for trouble. Don't worry about it. If you live for Christ, trouble will find you sooner or later. But we are to live and love for Christ based on what he's done for us. This is Sermon on the Mount living. This is successful kingdom living. We do what we do in response to his love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish. This is our our worship doesn't save us. It is the result of our salvation. It demonstrates that we are followers of Christ, that we are rightly related to the Savior of the world. And it begins in the heart. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. In his day, religion was all outward. By this time, Greco-Roman religion was in the area, the, the, the Greek and Roman gods. Judaism was morally bankrupt. People were going through the motions of religion drop by the temple, snatch up a turtle dove on the way to Jerusalem, sacrifice it, and go back and live the way you used to live before. Get in and get out. It's all about appearances. That's what Judaism had become in his day. And so Jesus confronts the hypocrisy of his culture. He makes a big deal out of giving to the poor, but not when people are watching. He makes a big deal out of mindless prayers that don't matter. You know, you can go bead by bead all day long, but if you really don't know who or what you're praying to, it really doesn't matter. And then he jumps on their version of Lent, fasting. And what is fasting? Yeah, fasting is denying yourself food and drink. But fasting is making yourself uncomfortable so that you can depend on God and focus on God in a way that you've not done before. Worship is not about outer conformity, but inward change. It's about the heart. And that's why he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward. There is a reward for worshiping God in wisdom and in truth. So the point is, worship is a matter of the heart. You remember, you you may look marvelous, but you may not be marvelous. Outward appearances can deceive. Secondly, the second reality here that we find in the Sermon on the Mount is that true worship honors God and blesses you. It honors God, it pleases God and blesses you. Where do we see that? Where is that found? If your heart is for God, then your worship will be for God and God will bless you. He'll return the love that you return to him, honoring your obedience. Where is that found? It's found in verse 3, 4, and 17, and 18. 3 through 6, 17, and 18. Here it is. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor... God rewards you. He's not rewarding you because you're the big man or the big woman on campus. He's rewarding you because you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and therefore do what he says. You do what he asks, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 6, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Again, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's no may there. It's a statement of fact. It's a declaration of fact, of truth. But when you fast, anoint your head and face and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What Jesus is doing here, he's providing illustrations from their life, from their culture, from their worship to remind them that worship is from the heart and that worship, honoring God, obeying God, serving God on his terms, the way he asks those who belong to him to do brings a blessing. When you honor God, you receive blessing. God does reward. Salvation is not a reward for something we do, but after we become his, after we surrender our will to him, after we surrender our past, present, and future, our rights to him, 
And as we serve him in the way that he requires, he's not an elected official wanting your vote. He's laying it out in the word of God. Jesus is laying it out here and clarifying the law and the prophets. He blesses those who honor him. This is the God, when he sees the worship from your heart, this is the God who rewards your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.